Uh, we'll address the elephant in the room first. I said last week I like to build things, and uh, <laughs> this is the result of trying to cut a bagel this morning. <laughs> if you're here and uh, you have been born of a mother, uh, this is a day where we celebrate our mothers, and uh, that's good. That's a really good thing. If you are here this morning and you are a mother, let me say thank you to you. Thank you for the way that you show Christ-like love in the way that you have bore children, cared for children, raised children. God bless you. God bless you from the bottom of my heart. Let me pray a special blessing upon you. Lord, we just thank you so much for those represented here who are mothers. Father, they are, they are gifts to us, and they have given us a great gift. Father, the job that they have had is not an easy one. They have endured, they have patiently persevered, they have imperfectly loved as Christ has loved them, Father, and you have carried them through. Father, I, I pray that you would bless them this morning. Lord, I pray that those who have done motherhood so imperfectly, Lord, that they would experience your grace this morning, that they would know that there is forgiveness in you and they would embrace that, Lord, but may they know most of all, Lord, uh, uh, the gratitude of others, and Lord, that they are, uh, they are blessed in your eyes. Would you bless them today? In Christ's name, amen. As he took his seat, probably feeling the cool of the grass and, and smelling the sweetness of the breeze coming up from the sea, Below, all around fell quiet, wanting to hear what he had to say. He opened his mouth, and this is what came out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for God feels very, very sorry for them. No. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Yes, those who, those who trust and obey and wait patiently on the sovereign hand of God to unfold his plan in the world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice. Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I wonder if at that point some sitting in the back row scratched themselves and went, huh? Years ago, I had just become a, a, a youth pastor, again, at a, at a new church down in South County, and I decided it would be a really good idea to have a lot of the youth pastors, or the youth workers, the youth leaders, over to my house for dinner. And uh, it was a great time. We hung out on the balcony, and we laughed, we joked, we did all those kind of relational bonding sort of things. And then we heard the, the, the faint echoing of rotor blades flying overhead, and a helicopter was passing by, and that's when one of my youth leaders looked over and said, ah, AH-64 Apache, very nice, those are pretty awesome. 
I could tell he felt pretty confident in himself, feeling pretty proud of himself, and, and that's why I just had to say, I think you're wrong. <laughs> that's an AH-1 Cobra made by Bell, and it's actually a member of the Huey family, don't you know? So much for youth leader bonding. If the guy, if, but if this guy was going to be on my team, he needed to know his helicopters. And he needed to know that I was right. And right now you're probably thinking, this guy needs to see a therapist. And no kidding, I have tried. He wouldn't go. <laughs> Don't you just love being right? I love being right. There are a lot of people who want to be right these days. The left want to be right. The right want to be right. The liberals, the progressives, the conservatives. Husbands and wives want to be right. Can you believe that? Parents, children, teachers, students, people who drive Teslas, <laughs> and those guys who drive the big monster trucks that are just polluting the environment, just saying, to heck with it all. We all want to be right. It's nothing new, really. It's, it's, it's nothing new. In fact, this has been going on ever since the beginning. Two people who had no education, <laughs> no resumes, no reason to think that they had contributed anything to the present uh, wonderful circumstances that they found themselves in. And I might add, had absolutely no clothes on. <laughs> and they decided they were more right than the one who created them. <laughs> Being right feels good, really good. Being right makes you feel like you're okay. You're, you're validated. It seems like uh, one of the things that people like best these days is watching people who thought that they were right <laughs> be force-fed that slice of humble pie, right? We love that. And we love it when they get to eat crow or the, and they publicly disgrace themselves and they feel the full force of their shame. They rise, they fall, and we don't mind at all. We don't mind at all. If you're on the right side, it's such a good feeling. We love it. We live for it. But if you find yourself on the other side, well, that's another story. I wonder if a lot of those early Christians felt that way. Maybe they had heard the, the urging of their, their co-workers or their family members or their friends saying, don't, 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 don't do it. Don't believe it. Don't buy into all of this Jesus stuff. It's just a fad. It's just a farce. It's just wishful thinking. Come on, this whole resurrection stuff, it's just bogus. Lay your life down. Confess your sins. Follow Christ. Are you kidding me? Who in their right mind goes in for any of that? Who walks away from, from everything, from their family, from their jobs, from their homes, the good standing in the public square for a dead guy they have never met? And I wonder if some of those early Christians were beginning to think, we have made a huge mistake. This doesn't feel like the winning team. It doesn't feel like we are on the right Side, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Let's look again at what Peter has to say to them. We'll go ahead and we'll, we'll look at chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And we're going to actually go back up a few verses from the passage we're actually looking at today. And start at verse 4. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 4. And if you're able, would you stand with me out of honor for God's word? Not honor for me. <laughs> It says this, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious, or chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. This is our passage. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling 
and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And we'll stop right there. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The people whom, to whom Peter was writing must have, may have, probably, perhaps, felt like the laughing stock. They, they, they were the losers. They were the ones on the run, forced to leave their homes. Seemingly, they had no political influence, no ability to change things. They were the, the outliers. They were the ones who looked silly. They looked foolish. The world in opposition was rising. They, on the other hand, must have felt like they were falling. Have you ever felt that way? Like you're falling? Have you ever wondered if you might be on the, the losing side? If you might be the one who's going down? If you might be the one who ends up with egg all over your face? If that's you, I've got good news for you. Very good news for you. You know, Jesus told a story about two men. One of them built his house upon a foundation made of sand. The other built his house upon solid rock. Guess which one ended up being right in the end? The big idea for this morning is, is this. Those whose faith is firmly set on Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. That's what Peter tells us in these verses. He actually gives us four promises in 1 Peter 2, verses 6 to 9, the beginning of 9. The first is this. Those who are built on the rock that is on Jesus Christ, they are secure. They are secure. He says, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What Peter is telling these scattered, persecuted believers is that this good news that he has for them, it's not wishful thinking. I, I didn't just pull this out of the air. This is grounded in the scriptures that they already knew and that they already trusted. He writes, for it stands in scripture. And then he goes on to quote scripture, and he begins with Isaiah 28, verse 16. And he says that he's, God is laying a stone in Zion, that is on the hilltop of Jerusalem, that, that city on the hill. That's the place where God is going to establish his rule and his reign and the rule and reign of this Messiah that he had promised that he would send into the world. Isaiah was looking forward to that event when he penned those words. Peter, on the other hand, is looking back. He's looking back on that event. It's what happened when Jesus went to the cross. The establishment of this stone. And that's where he took the sin of, of guilty people like you and me on his shoulders and paid for it that we might be made right with God and live under his good rule in our lives. We noticed that last week, this stone, Jesus was chosen and precious. This, this, is, this is not an accident here. <laughs> this is not just a good person who, who came into the world and did a few good things and, oh, we're all better for it. That's not what we're talking about here. This is the one whom God had planned before the foundation of the world. This is exactly according to his plan. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that we can consider precious, aren't there? There's... Uh, there's precious metals, there's, there's precious heirlooms, there's precious collectibles. Maybe you have some of them in your homes. There's precious people. Most parents would look at their children. Most parents would look at their children and say, precious. <laughs> some, some people who are in love would look into the eyes of the other and say, you're precious to me. Precious, of course, it means something of great value. Someone of great value, we might even say priceless or 
irreplaceable. It's, it's the label we put on uh, things that are, are, are precious. But when God, the creator of all things, and the person who has the power to replicate and create anything and everything, there's nothing irreplaceable for God. He can replace just about, just about anything. He's God. When he says something is precious, oh, you know it's precious. It is very precious. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Jesus Christ is the ultimate standard of preciousness. <laughs> he is the only one who is absolutely irreplaceable. God in the flesh, the one of infinite value, the one who is truly irreplaceable. You know, the world didn't have a clue what it had in Jesus as he walked through it. Not a clue. God knew. Peter wants you and I to know. He wants us to know. Jesus gave the illustration of a man walking through a field. He was walking through, and he stumbles upon a treasure. And he pulls away all of the material on top of it, and he opens this thing up, and he realizes this is, this is the find of the century, certainly the find of finds for my life. And he covers it back up, and he goes out, and he sells everything that he has, and he purchases that field so that he can legally, rightfully have ownership of this treasure. It was precious. These people that Peter was writing to, and perhaps some of us, have made tremendous sacrifices to follow Jesus. You looked at everything you had, and you said, I'll give it away, because I found something more valuable. Was it worth it? Was it a good investment? Or was Jesus, like so many other things, just too good to be true? When life gets hard and following Jesus becomes costly should Christians feel that, that sense of buyer's remorse. No way. Absolutely not. This is the one who is precious and chosen in God's eyes, and nothing is more valuable than he. Peter writes, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. An alternate translation is this. They will not be disappointed we all know what it's like to put our hopes in something, maybe even put yourself or your reputation on the line for that very thing. And then you come to find out that you've been duped. You've been duped. We know what it's like to feel suckered, and that is a terrible feeling. Peter wants Christians to know that if they've looked to Jesus for their hope, that hope is absolutely secure. Absolutely secure. They will not be disappointed. This, this hope is good. This hope is the smartest, wisest investment that they have ever made. Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How's that for confidence? For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture is said, here's what Paul quotes, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, again, will be saved. Have you ever had those doubts? I sure have had them, especially in my younger years. Those doubts that, I don't know if my faith in God is real. My faith in Christ, is, did, did, did I mean it? Did it really work? Are my sins forgiven? Have I been made right with God? Have I been stamped, ready to go to heaven? Paul says, it doesn't matter what your race is. Anyone who believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, will be saved. And this same Jesus, he bestows his riches on all who call on him. Are you rich? 
Do you look at your bank account and go, wow, you know, I'm, a, I'm so well off here. I just, I got more money than I know what to do with the property that I have here, but it puts all of us to shame. Now we look at ourselves and we go, yeah, maybe I can squeak by. But Paul says, Jesus bestows his riches on all who call on him. Have you called on him? Have you recognized that you're a sinner in need of a savior? Have you confessed your sin? Have you turned from it? Have you turned and looked to Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross? And he said, that's what I need. That's where my hope is found. That's where my trust lies. And if you haven't done that, let me encourage you to do that right now. You don't hold the keys to your destiny. You don't hold all the cards when it comes to how many days you have left. You don't know how much time you have to think about this. The time to trust in Jesus is right now. And the amazing promise for all who do, even if, even if the eyes of every other person on the planet look at us and they say, foolish, absolute foolishness, doesn't matter. You will not be put to shame. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 54, 4, fear not. You will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer and the God of this whole earth he is called. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but the steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. You and I, we both know that everyone on this earth will disappoint us, don't we? If we don't know that yet, we soon will. We soon will. But hope in Jesus is a sure thing. <laughs> Your hope is continually secure. You will not be put to shame. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 8.37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, built on the solid rock, the precious cornerstone. We are secure. We have a sure foundation. He is faithful to the end. Those whose faith is set on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, they will not be disappointed. Those who are built on the rock are secure. Second promise. The second key crucial thing that we should put in our satchel is this. Those who are built on the rock, they receive the reward they receive the reward. Peter says, so the honor is for you who believe. This, this is not something to take for granted here. This is an awesome honor to be part of the spiritual house and the holy priesthood that God is building on top of Jesus Christ in us. Offering spiritual sacrifices to God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that is an awesome honor awesome privilege, and the honor of that is for you and for me if we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ. What an incredible honor. What an incredible reward. What is it exactly, though? Well, it's, it's knowing, it's loving, it's trusting in Jesus. It's, it's, it's having him, the living stone, which was described in, in verse 4, that foundation upon which you and I stand, upon which we are bu being built into this spiritual house. And remember last week, if you were here with us, we said a spiritual house is just like the temple before. It was the place where God comes and he dwells among his people. That is what God is building us as the church into a place for his dwelling. And not only are you being built into a spiritual house, 
you're a holy priesthood. You're, you're among a select group of people that are able to make acceptable offerings to God. It is a, maybe you've experienced this, it is a terrible, heartbreaking thing to have a, a gift that you thoughtfully purchased and maybe wrapped and, and put postage on and you sent it away. It is a terrible thing to have that package sent back. And I'm not talking about FedEx making a mistake here. But you know it was received. They looked at it. They saw it was from you. And they said, no thanks. That's, a, that's, that's hard. It's another thing to have the good things that you thought you were doing for God end up being unacceptable. And that's exactly what any gifts or any offerings or any acts of worship that we think that we are doing for God apart from Christ, that's what they end up being. They're rejected because they're sent from rebellious hearts. And yet those who are being built on the living stone of Jesus Christ, they are a holy priesthood and they have the honor of sending gifts, spiritual offerings, acts of worship to God, and those are accepted as sacred. And this is an eternally important task. My friends, this is an honor for us. It's a privilege. These people who were on the run, the rest of the world's evaluation of them was pathetic. And Peter says that because of their belief in Jesus, they're the ones to receive the honor, the reward. And then he writes something else. But for us, or for those who do not believe, he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You see, everyone looked at Jesus and they thought, what foolishness. Maybe you've had people look at you and say something similar. They look at what you believe, what you stand for, and they say the same thing. In this polarized world we are living in today, it seems like making just about any claim for Christ or, or making any statement that is aligned with his word, that that's going to get you into trouble. And it's going to be looked at. At best, it's going to be looked at as something strange and narrow-minded. More often than not, these days, it's gonna, you're going to get the label extremist. You walk around with one of these things, you carry this to church, you show up here on this campus, extremist. From there, it goes on to, you are a hateful person. You should be terminated with extreme prejudice. Case in point, look at what's happening these days with the leak that just happened in the Supreme Court. Anyone who would dare to say that an unborn human life is sacred, anyone holds that that human life is, is actually made and formed in the image of God. <sighs> You're the worst of the worst. Are things getting dark? Make no mistake, if they rejected Jesus, they will reject you. In fact, if you somehow fly under the radar, and none of this seems to affect you, none of this seems to bother you, they don't reject you, it could be that that's an indicator that you're not representing Christ well. It's possible. It's possible that you may be living in a way that is not authentically or distinctly Christian. For those of us who are beginning to feel like outliers, the ones on the wrong side of history, let this be an encouragement to you. Peter tells us the stone that the builders rejected. Yeah, they said no to Christ. We don't want you. You're not the Savior. You're not the Messiah that we want. 
that stone has become the cornerstone. In other words, the most important stone of all. The ones who thought that they got it right were just about as wrong as they possibly could be. They thought that there was no way Jesus could be their Messiah. They were looking for a different kind, a political leader, a warrior, someone who was going to stand up and overthrow the Roman government. He didn't meet their expectations. So you know what they did? They hit the reject button. Reject. And they were wrong. Boy, were they wrong. Not only was he the long-awaited, anointed one, he was the one on which everything else rests. He's the cornerstone, the foundation stone. I've heard people, even the White House, try to marginalize and discredit ideas that are uh, they're, they're based on uh, popularity or precedent. Have you seen this? It's about popularity. It's about precedent. Basically, if what you believe is not held by the majority, however slim, or it doesn't have uh, some type of long-standing precedent, I, apparently 50 years is a long time, then, then that is extreme and it's abhorrent. My friends, Jesus was both unpopular and unprecedented, but that couldn't have mattered less. All that matters is what God says matters. These people that Peter was writing to, they weren't winning any popularity contest, not by a long shot. In fact, they were losing in a big way. That didn't matter because if they were clinging on to God's truth, they could not fall. They would not be put to shame. On the other hand, those who thought they were on the right side. They had the people on their side. They would be the ones to stumble and fall. Peter quotes Isaiah 8.14 saying that those who do not believe in Jesus will find that he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You know, it's one thing to trip over Jesus. It's another thing to land hard. I, I built a skateboard some years ago, and I went outside, and I was, I was test riding this thing, which was not a good idea, because I'm not a skateboarder. Why I got into that, I don't know. And I'm riding this thing around our apartment complex, and going straight, there was, there was nothing in my way, totally clear, no, no dogs running by, or little children getting in my way, and I just fell off this thing. And my elbow connected hard with the asphalt, and it has never been the same. You, you, you touch it in a certain way, and that shooting pain just goes... When Isaiah and Peter call Jesus the rock of offense, they're saying that he's not only going to be the one that people stumble over, but he is the jagged, rocky ground that they are going to land on and be destroyed. He says, they can reject Jesus, but make no mistake, sooner or later, Jesus is going to be the very thing that causes them to stumble and is their downfall. Why? Verse 8, they disobey the word as they were destined to do. In other words, the sure consequence of rejecting God's truth is something that God has destined. It's going to happen. There are consequences for rejecting that word. Make no mistake, a fall is coming. John three eighteen says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. On the other hand, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Again, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Wow, what a great promise. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. To those who were outliers, who were suffering because of their trust in Jesus and their faithfulness to him, Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 1, he wrote in verse 6, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at 
among all who have believed, but our testimony to you was believed. Wow. That's heavy stuff. This is not make-believe. This is the state of the world and the condition of humanity. And the unveiling of how it will end. Just a quick word to those of us who may live to see the downfall, the humiliation of those who reject God's truth, or, or maybe even claim to be Christian, but show these, these patterns of unchristlike behavior and belief. For us, boy, we're living in a day where newscasters and pundits and politicians, they're chomping at the bit to celebrate, aren't they? They want to celebrate the folly of their opponents. And so they mock and, and they laugh and they celebrate as they catch their opponents in lies and they, they mock their inconsistencies and they see uh, faults in their logic and they just rejoice and it's some type of celebration. Let's all celebrate and laugh together. We're living in a day where payback and vengeance, they're like gourmet dishes that we're just waiting to be served up for us. It's all in the name of truth and it's all in the name of justice, and yet I think that sometimes there are these underlying heart desires that surface like pride. <laughs> I just want to be right. Like some type of, of, of strange bloodlust, insatiable desire to see everyone else fall, especially my opponents. Let me just say this. It should not be so with you. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. These are dark days that we find ourselves in, yes? They are. But let Peter's words fortify your confidence. The stone that the builders rejected, that very stone has become the cornerstone, and it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Proverbs 24, 19 tells us, fret not yourself. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. There's a lot of fretting going on these days, a whole lot of fretting. Do not be envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Don't forget, those whose faith is in the solid rock of Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Those who are built on the rock are secure. And they are the ones who are going to receive the reward. Two more promises, just, just briefly. Those who are built on the rock, they're the chosen. Peter writes, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to you. But you are a chosen race. And we talked about that all the way back at the beginning of this series in 1 Peter. You are chosen. This is so important for Christians to understand, especially Christians who find themselves going through a time, living in a period where it seems like everyone else is the majority and we are becoming a shrinking minority. We feel like the outliers. So important. When you are chosen, you don't have to worry about the fact that you are in the minority, do you? You don't worry about it. You don't care about the countless others that are different than you. In fact, that's one of the things that makes being chosen so good. When Pat Sajak calls your name and you come running down with your big old name tag to spin that wheel, you don't worry that you're in the minority. When you get that letter in the mail saying, you've been accepted to that school that you wanted, you take a picture of that thing. And you put it up online for all to see because you have been chosen. When you get that job offer, there were countless other candidates, but you're the one that gets the offer. They chose you. you got to go celebrate. And when he gets down on one knee or she says yes, you feel like one of the luckiest people on the planet. God's people have been chosen. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 told them all the way back then, 
You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Imagine that. He has everything. Everything. And of everything and anything, you are his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping an oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a, a mighty hand to redeem you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Who is your God? Peter wants Christians to know that while all the world around them is rejecting them, cursing them, waging war against them, they are chosen. Just as Christ was rejected and yet chosen and precious, so are they. Friends, don't lose sight of that. When temptation comes to fade away, to blend in with the rest of the crowd, to just give up and go with the flow, when it begins to feel like following Christ is just getting too expensive, too risky, too unpopular, too uncomfortable, don't forget you have been chosen. In the end, they will stumble, you will stand they will fall, you will rise. I'm not the one saying it. It's right here in God's word. God is your defender. He is your protector. His good opinion, not public opinion, is the only thing that matters. Those whose faith is set on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, they will not be disappointed. Those who are, are built on that rock are secure. They're the ones who will receive the reward. They have been chosen. Church, are you getting this? Are you, are you getting it? Are you strengthened by this? Are you ready to press forward toward the goal? Are you excited to fight on for the glory of your king and the good of his people? Are you inspired to boldly, fearlessly, purposefully, joyfully march with no banner overhead other than Jesus Christ? Finally, those who are built on the rock will reign. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, he says. Moses spoke the word of God to the people in Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if indeed, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. There it is again. For all the earth is mine. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. We're living in a world where everybody wants to be right. Everyone wants to be the chosen. Everyone wants to be the special. Everyone wants to rise to the top, at least in some way, shape, or form. And it's in us. It's something that has been passed down from our great, 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 great first grandparents. And yet that inclination to be right, to go to the top, to be higher, equal to our creator, that backfired in the worst way. And when Adam and Eve attempted to rise to that level of their creator, they found themselves shackled in slavery to a ruthless master. And we've inherited that status. We all find ourselves in that same miserable state. And yet... How incredible is it that God would scoop us up out of the pit and set us not just on level ground, but he ushers us into the royal court, dresses us in the finest clothes, bestows on us the coveted role of serving the king church, all who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, you are a royal priesthood. 
This is a, a priesthood that serves the royal of royals, the king of all kings. And yet in serving him, you will also reign with him. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years, Revelation 26 says. Jesus said in Luke 29, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Is this incredible or what? Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Again, he says in verse uh, 3, do you not know we are to judge angels? And you say, well, well look at us. We're, we're not judges here. We're not difference makers. We're the outliers. We're the fringe element. We feel like the voiceless here. Our votes really don't even matter here in Southern California, do they? We've got to stand. We've got to fight. This is the time to take up arms. This is the time to become militaristic and fight, or we're not going to get anywhere. And don't get me wrong, just like I said last week, I'm all for us exercising the privileges of our citizenship, of voting, of doing all the things that our, our country says, yes, go do this. This is your right as a citizen. As you have opportunity to make the world more in line with God's word, go do it. But in the moments where you feel like you are the marginalized, the minority, the out of step with the rest of society, the shunned, the losing, the ones who uh, took a gamble swearing allegiance to Jesus and have seemingly lost. Don't lose heart. The day is coming when you will rule as a royal priesthood. You will rule. Those whose faith is set on the solid rock of Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Those who are built on the rock are secure. They're the ones who receive the reward. They're the chosen. They will rule. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> are you serious? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Humility is not the way to the top. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Really? Really. How am I ever going to get anywhere in this life, if I'm confessing my sin, looking to Christ for forgiveness, when what I need to be doing is just ignoring my faults, sucking it up, and throwing my weight around here. That's how you get places in this life. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. <laughs> now you're just messing with me. <laughs> There's no way that those who wait and trust and obey and pray and look to God to bring about his kingdom and his time are going to get anywhere in this life, right? The rulers are the ones who do whatever it takes. You say whatever needs to be said. <laughs> you don't Forget about what I said yesterday. I'm saying this today. Listen to me now. They don't let anyone get in their way. They fight their way to the top. That's the way it works. Jesus continues. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, you and I are living in a world that more and more feels unfriendly, <laughs> It feels like a threatening, it feels like a dangerous place. And we may feel that, that ours is the flag that is falling, like we're the ones who are losing. 
don't buy it. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I'll say it one more time. Those whose faith is set on the solid rock of Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Those who are built on the rock are secure. They are the ones who will receive the reward. They are the chosen, and they will rule. Father, we, 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 we humbly come before you. Because that's all we can do. Because we know that this, we are not deserving of this. There's nothing that we have done. In fact, we are deserving of far, far worse. We are a stubborn, stiff-necked people, Lord, who have hard hearts and are full of all kinds of desires that are leading us to places that are not of you. And we often go to those places. And Father, in spite of all that, you came and called us out of darkness, opened our eyes to the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior. In blazing glory, Lord, you opened our eyes to the reality that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And you said it was no amount of money that you wanted, nothing that we had to offer in exchange for this incredible gift that you were giving us, Lord, it's only in your great goodness and mercy that you sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And all we need to do is trust and accept and say, yes, that is my Savior. I've been going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, and I need Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We are undeserving people, you are the glorious creator, the glorious savior. We look to you, we thank you with all of our hearts that our hope is secure in you. And that even though we live through this period of history, Lord, where there are a lot of question marks, there are a lot of things that look like they're going in a direction that is not a good one. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest in you and have confidence in you, and even though it may be very, very unpopular, we can continue to stand boldly and confidently on the word of God and be faithful to you. Lord, help us to be faithful people. I pray for those who are in this room, those who are watching or listening online, Lord, that you would give them courage. Courage that doesn't come from within, courage that comes from above because you are a strong, powerful, and living rock. You are our fortress. You are our deliverer. In you, we trust. And we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.